Hello, friends. Welcome to the People Podcast by Feed Learning, a podcast where fellow humans share their vulnerable moments and how they navigated sticky situations throughout their careers. We've all been there, so let's learn from each other. My name is Jesse, and I will be your host. All right, today I interview my good friend Sherry Liang. Some highlights in this episode include her experience as a young Asian female working in a predominantly male industry. Also, she talks about why she stops apologizing at work, how she overcame imposter syndrome, and her method of managing stress, including the time that she had to replan her wedding in just four days due to Hurricane Florence. Hope you enjoy this episode and check out feedlearning.com slash podcast for the show notes. Hey, Sherry. Hey. Thanks for joining me today. Let's go ahead and get straight to it. Can you scan your resume and work your way up to your current job? Uh, went to school at Bucknell University, um, graduated with BS in biology, went to American University for environmental policy, and then went on to work for Sierra Club for a couple of years in one, um, the first position being uh, a program assistant in uh, the environmental law program, uh, convinced somebody else in a different department to give me a job. And luckily, she was nice enough to give me a job in um, the coal campaign doing data and analytics and metrics. And then uh, moved to Suffolk, Virginia, and worked at a consulting firm supporting the Navy. And now I actually do work for the Navy as a civilian. Wow. So you work for the Navy. What do you do with the Navy, Sherry? Oh, yeah, sure. So um, I'm a program manager for the Navy, in, um, and my program is utilities privatization. And uh, I work for the Naval Facilities Engineering Command. Have you ever had to work outside your job description? Yes. Okay. Um, how do you feel about that? Um, I was much more willing to do that when I was younger than I am now. You got to do a little bit of a cost-benefit analysis for every type of activity you're doing outside of your job description. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it for a promotion, that's probably going to be worth it. If you're going to do it and you're pretty sure there's going to be no reward, I'm not sure if that's worth it or not. Unless if you feel like it's something that really needs to be done or um, something that will better your job or um, because I don't want to say you shouldn't do things for the greater good. You really should, but you have to understand the parameters of your position. And, you know, I'm not going to go and perform the duties of the president of the United States and not get properly compensated for it. Mm -hmm. I think that would mm -hmm. be, kind of ridiculous and no one else should do that either. Okay. How do you know when it's time to quit a job? First and foremost, if you're not learning a lot, if you're not feeling um, particularly motivated to learn more, that is a red flag for, hey, maybe it's time to either move to a different part of the same organization or to get out of this company entirely. I talk to a lot of friends who feel like they need a move to, a, they need to find a new job when a lot of their leadership changes mm -hmm. and there's just a lot of chaos and 
it overloads them and nobody knows what they're doing, that's another time to leave. Um, For me, it was in going from nonprofit to consulting, a lot of that was things in my personal life that were changing and I felt like I needed to go from working from home all the time to working in an office with other people because I needed a little more interaction but also because I felt like you know I should be making more money at that point in my Mm -hmm. life and I was at a point in my life where I felt like I had learned so much about the campaign and about this nonprofit, and uh, I felt really comfortable with where I was which made it a perfect time to get a new job yeah Uh, What are the challenges that come with this job? Um, I think a lot of the challenges, uh, they're innate to the federal government in that there's a lot of bureaucracy. It takes a long time to do things. Uh, The culture, I think, is just that things move a lot slower. Could you tell me a little bit more about the culture? Or maybe is is there a stereotype about people who work in the federal government. Uh, I think, and, yes. Okay. And what, what's the stereotype? And would you like to confirm or deny any of them? So I'm going to say, okay, pre-working for the federal government, I thought the stereotype was everybody was lazy and nobody did any work. And there are a lot of people who just kind of, especially some older people, um, there's a word for them. They're slugs. They really? just kind of like drain the system. <laughs> They're just like waiting out till retirement uh-huh. oh. and they go show up at work. They don't do anything. Okay. Maybe they just like read a book or whatever. Um, but okay. So now that I do work for the government, I find that there are so many amazingly motivated people who are like equally frustrated with the government and all of the slow things associated with it Mm -hmm. um and they equally are slugs the slugs are still there but i think you find that in any organization it's just that you can get fired in other organizations like if for a a business especially a small business if you're working at a startup in your slug you're gonna get fired Mm -hmm. yeah so in the federal government it's uh, there's a lot more job security which is good um being in the government i mean i like, and knowing my personality, I'm definitely not somebody who's going to just slug around and wait and be not motivated and not do anything because that's equally a waste of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certainly a lot of people like that. And, and like in my office in particular, I think people are generally older than at other organizations I've worked for. Um, I think that the technology is definitely a lot slower okay. and older. Um, and part of that is just it's so hard to get new software. Like, for example, um, m- my boss and I both use Tableau, and I think we're the only people in our building who have it. Um, but it even even though we have it and it's supposed to be like a great tool for visualization, data visualizations and things like that, uh, we have an, a really old version. It's like uh. five versions too old. But it's just really hard for us to get a new version because – it takes probably two hours to of work to g- get the right form filled out. To mm-hmm. oh, like hey, we got to get the software updated, and then have to get all the different people need stuff? to sign off on it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So why environmental policy? Why do you do what you do? So I started off in environmental policy, and it's just kind of morphed from there. There wasn't any particular uh, 
active decision making on my part. It was kind of like, oh, I got this job. Cool. All right. Mm -hmm. Now I'm uh, now I'm looking for a new job. Where can I go from here? Or maybe it's just a door had opened for me and I just so happened to stumble upon and get to where I am now. Okay. I think that every decision and every job change I've made has been um, to put myself in a better situation on a day to day basis. Maybe it's getting a better supervisor or getting more pay or getting better benefits. And um, I think now, especially because. Um, Nathan and I are expecting a baby boy. Ooh, next congratulations! Year. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Um, yeah, I think that working for the federal government while you raise kids is really, really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, you, that job security thing, you know, on yeah. one hand, you know, if you don't do anything, you can't get fired. Okay. Or, yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of a harsh way to put it, but, um, But at the same time, I feel like going from consulting where I felt like every little move had to be carefully calculated because, you know, my contract could end or they could find somebody who had a better skill set than me and then just kind of throw me to the side. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas now I feel like with a little more job security, I'm willing to take more risks. I'm willing to... uh, not even like crazy risks, you know, because I, I want to be mindful of the taxpayer's dollars um, when I'm making business decisions in my job. Oh, yeah. But, so uh, I'm it, paying for you. Yeah, you are paying for me. <laughs> Everybody's paying for me Do to have job, my job. job, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I want to be mindful of the taxpayer's dollars, but it also lets me be think of really creative ways to come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. In that maybe it could be something that's more efficient than what's been done before. Okay. Or maybe it, um, I can do something that will shorten the timeline. Yeah. It's just having that job security really lets me explore those options and, and feel comfortable in exploring those options. When you look for your next career move or whatnot, are you, do you typically look for job stability over passion? Yeah. Um, so I don't think I have a passion for one particular thing okay. anymore. I thought I did, but I think my passion is really more so to learn a new thing. I mean, I work in utilities. It's very much like a, a salt of the earth, like good old boys kind of job. Mm-hmm. And I work with a lot of men, a lot of older men as well. I mean, there's certainly women in the field, but definitely not as many as men. Okay. Um, at least not right now and where I work. Um, so I, I would say in terms of passion, it's really cool to be learning something that I had no idea existed about okay. a year ago. And just digging into that a little bit more every day, yeah. I think is really nice. So so that's what drives you, just being able to learn something new that you didn't know before? Yeah. Drives, okay. How do you define success in your career? So some people say, oh, I want to I wanna make six figures or I want the title of a VP or just pure happiness, whatever it is. Um, how do you define success in your career? I think in my career, for me, I think it's one, being able to make enough and have the appropriate benefits to live comfortably um, mm-hmm. and you know, a title doesn't really matter. I could be, I don't know. I could be a a basket weaver as my title. Cool. And if (laughs) I think if I'm able to support my family, Uh if I'm able to learn 
maybe not every day, but just be constantly learning on a weekly, maybe monthly basis, new things and be constantly challenged in my job. Yeah. I would be very, very happy. Yeah. And that's, that's very admirable because I know a lot of people, including myself, when I was working in corporate, I've always been chasing that title, always been chasing, you know, the six figures or whatever it is. Didn't really care too much about benefits or living comfortably um, because uh, growing up, my parents would always compare me to other people um, about, you know, oh, this person's a doctor, this person's a lawyer. And I always wanted to have a good title or good money to tell my parents, hey, I'm doing well. And that's what success looked like to them. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever feel like that growing up or in your career where you had to chase that title or chase the, the money? Or did you always feel like as long as I'm learning and I have a stable job and I can support myself and my family. I'm happy. I think that this is the first job I've made enough money to feel like I'm like a lot of a lot of stability, mm-hmm. like very comfortable. Um, the past, so it, the money thing, I've definitely chased for the past couple of jobs, and here I've I don't want to say I've plateaued because hopefully I haven't plateaued. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just very comfortable now. Okay. Um, For as far as the title, I don't think I've ever really chased that, and I think that's particularly more so because after working for a nonprofit and then for a consulting firm, I was like, wow, titles are very different Mm -hmm. depending on where you are. Yeah. Because you can you can be a VP of whatever, but there could be five people in your company. Um, and everybody could be in their 20s. So it's really hard to compare across different organizations. The nomenclatures are different. I think the the cultures are definitely different enough that it's the titles just don't really make sense to me, at least. All right, Sherry, I want to learn more about your mindset on how you approach problems and resolve them when it comes to solving and resolving people related problems in a workplace. So let's say like you have a disagreement with your manager or coworker, what's your thought process or approach on how to resolve people conflicts? I like to directly approach the person or people that are affecting me in a negative way to start. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people who, you know, I go to my supervisor and they talk to that person's supervisor yeah. and then you get all these people involved. I think that's just a mess. Okay. You know, we're, especially in the workplace, you know, we go to this place every day. We're in this community, like it or not, you know, it's this cubicle community where we're really all in this together and we're working together towards the same goal, which is improving our country in some way, at least in my job. Okay. So um, I like to be direct, concise, and, oh, and more importantly, ap- approach the person when both parties are calm. Okay. I've just really been digging deep into the negotiations, like how to negotiate, how to negotiate in business, how to use negotiations uh, concepts to be better in business. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I've stopped apologizing for almost everything. Or I actively try to not apologize, but sometimes it comes out. Why do you find it important to not apologize anymore? 
Um, I think it puts you in a position of weakness. Okay. Uh, maybe that's what it is. I, okay, so I don't think there's anything wrong with apologizing for doing something wrong. I also don't think there's anything wrong with starting off with using sorry to manage somebody's expectations for something bad you're about to tell them. Okay. Because what you're ending on is the bad thing. Okay, let's just say you're you're trying to buy a used car. Mm-hmm. And they're not going down on the price. What you can say is, sorry, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that sentence in particular puts you in a weak yeah. spot. Yeah. But if you say... If you end on I'm sorry, I think it just kind of drops the tone and it's a little bit different. I can't afford that price. I'm sorry. Yeah, so okay. you don't need to include I'm sorry in the okay. at the end of that. But using I'm sorry is kind of just a way to manage their expectations for what's to follow. Yeah. I think that's okay. Okay. Let's talk about managers that you've had in the past, Sherry. Who who was the best manager you've ever had and why? So I would say my manager right now is awesome because Ooh. is very supportive of of these creative solutions that I've talked about. He's very patient to because knowing that I'm nude, not just things to the federal government, but to the subject matter in general. He's very patient to explain things. Um, and at the same time, I'm respectful of that. And I try to be as organized as possible whenever I meet with him. So, uh, I, I think that kind of back and forth, like looking out for each other and being respectful of each other's pursuit of knowledge and time Mm -hmm. is, is really important. And that's helped me develop a really awesome relationship with my boss. Now, my other favorite boss of all time is, uh, my first boss working at Sierra Club who just let me be as creative as possible in my job. Thinking, I always thought of weird, quirky ways to help motivate the office. Like my job was program assistant, but it was also kind of office manager. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a small team. I think there were maybe four attorneys while I was there. So I made up this little game to help motivate people. <laughs> nice. It was pretty dumb. My boss was just really excited that I was excited. And I did these motivational talks every week. I found something really dumb, like a little trivia thing, and I would present it and just uh, kind of get ourselves out of our heads. Because I think, you know, all of these attorneys are in high stress situations a lot of times. Yeah. um, Yeah, I, I, I think that for the most part, they appreciated it. Nice. It seems like your best managers what they had in common were um, was that they allowed you to be creative. They didn't micromanage you, huh? They, they mm-hmm. kind of let you kind of go with your ideas and try things out. Can you describe the best type of colleagues to work with? Yeah, I think the best type of colleagues to work with are people who are generally positive, people who are willing to sit down and really grind out uh, a solution to a problem with you. Mm -hmm. People who are not afraid to work a little bit extra to, to fix the issue. You know, I know that some people, I don't know if it's innate to the government, but you know, some people say, Oh, it's five o'clock. My time's up. I gotta go. Yeah. 
but there are really people who are willing to spend the extra time with you to to help you for the better the greater good mm-hmm. so very dedicated co-workers yeah colleagues dedicated um and funny i think you need to have a sense of humor mm-hmm. because you know like it just in our current climate everybody has weird different political views and yeah i i think that's so polarizing but humor can always bring us together <laughs> you know on the flip side of best colleagues can you describe the worst type of colleagues to work with i think the worst type of colleagues if even if they're the most dedicated the smartest people if they can't properly communicate Mm-hmm. Um, whether it is actually communicating verbally or via email, or if it's just that you can't reach them ever. Yeah. There's lack of communication entirely. I think that really makes it difficult to work with what, whomever it is. What does properly communicating look like to you? So, for example, I had this one person at work who was impossible to reach because she worked on the West Coast partially, but also because she would just never answer my emails. Mm -hmm. And I would leave her a voicemail and then follow up with an email. And it would take maybe a week for her to respond to me. And and then sometimes when she did respond to me, it was – hard for us to get on the same page because I would try and explain the situation and then she'd repeat it back, but there would be slightly different than what I explained. And maybe that was my fault for lack of being able to explain it mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were just kind of never on the same page. Yeah. And, it, and part of it was uh, maybe because of our phone calls and emails, but also because she, this person was just impossible to reach. Did you figure out why? She was impossible to reach? No, I, so for this particular case, I, not just myself, but the people that I worked with, my, my teammates, we kind of went around her to her boss. And that was just kind of the fastest way to get things done moving forward. Yeah. Sometimes it seems like you, you, you can't solve every single conflict, every single problem in the workplace. Sometimes you just got to deal with it or work around with it. And Mm -hmm. it's not worth the time having to approach her about it sometimes yeah have you ever had to work with someone who just complains so much like a negative yes. nancy davy downer whatever you call it yes her? okay what, what do you do in those situations how do you deal with them or handle them oh man you're not gonna like this the, this is probably the least professional thing i've done oh it's, let me hear I about was, this. <laughs> and it's not even that bad but this so it's This was a guy in our office, and he would complain about everything, just from work to home life to his kids, his wife, um, people that he worked for. Totally unsolicited. And I think he was bored in his job, too. And by the way, this wasn't a federal government worker. This was was like a contract support Mm -hmm. person. Um, And he would just stroll by my cube and start complaining and I got into the habit of just pretending like I had a phone call come in on my (laughs) cell phone and sometimes I would like a lot of times if I knew that he was coming I would flip my phone over so he couldn't tell yeah so he couldn't see my screen and I would just 
you know, a minute into him talking, I would pick up my phone so only I could see it and just pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's how you got him to shut up. Yeah, maybe that was not the best way to well, deal with it. Oh, but well. it was best or not. Did it work for you? Oh, it definitely. There、worked. you go. So、yeah. you know, that's a trick. If anyone needs a trick, <laughs> just pick up the phone and pretend you're on a pretend, call. Pretend like yeah. <laughs> I think everyone,、uh, in some point in their career, has、um, had to deal with uh, uh, these type of、uh, people. And sometimes for me, I never know what to do. I just listen. Sometimes I just give in and listen, and、uh, try to offer advice. But they still come because I'm offering advice, and they think I want to listen, so they keep coming back. Right? <laughs> Would you say that you're a confident person? Yes. Oh, nice. Not many people say that. On a scale of one to ten, how confident of a person are you? Is this in just in general or at work? Yeah, or... I guess it depends, right? Yeah. Uh, let's say let's say at work. Oh, work definitely a little bit lower. So maybe like a seven, and then outside of work, an eight and a half. Wow, why, why, why seven? Why eight and a half? I think a lot of it. So work, I I still feel like I have a lot to learn,、um, and a lot of. People I work with are older than me, and I feel like they just have a lot more institutional knowledge and subject matter knowledge. And I'm scrambling to try and learn as much as possible and get、mm-hmm. to where they are and exceed them eventually. Obviously, because that's always the goal. You want to be the person who knows the most, right? Yeah.、Um, but I think that outside of work, socially, with my friends in my community.、Uh, you know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You want to be. A nice person. You want to be a good person,、uh, and those are kind of the most important things, I think. How do you build your confidence up? Like for for people like me, I've I've it took me a while to really build up confidence in what I do and who I am. So, how do you build confidence? I'm gonna put this in the context of work、uh-huh. again. When I first started consulting. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't、mm-hmm. know anything about the Navy, the、uh, the organizational structure. I didn't know very much about renewable energy or the program that I was working on. They kind of just threw me in and said, "Hey, here you go. You have a job now, but we're not going to do a ton of training because my contract was based out of DC, and all of my cohorts were in DC."、Mm-hmm. So I didn't also didn't have a lot of people to interact with where I could share my experiences and. Gain knowledge through my peers.、Um, I was just thrown into this environment where everybody knew a lot more than me, and I knew that, and it was terrifying. So I definitely had a lot of imposter syndrome at this point in time, where I said, "Okay." So they looked at my resume. It, my resume looks good. I didn't lie on my resume, but for some reason, they felt like I'm well suited for this job. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how the people making the hiring decision hired me versus somebody else who might have been doing something like that a little bit more, or who knew yeah, blame, the name. Blame the hiring managers, not you. Yeah, it was definitely the hiring manager's <laughs> fault that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. So you would say you you, you suffered from imposter syndrome.、Uh, how so? How did you overcome that? I learned. I force myself to learn as much as possible, 
That was the best way to do it because imposter syndrome is really feeling like everything you've done up until that point is purely out of luck and that you don't actually deserve that. Mm-hmm. But we can do to overcome that is to to feel like you deserve it. So whether it is a gap in your knowledge, whether it is a maybe you have a job that is much more physical, maybe it's building your physical strength. You know, it's it like grow into that what you think you should be to be successful in that job. So you, you talked about learn learning as much as you can as as well. Like how how do you go about learning what you need to learn in order to overcome it? I found some resources. Um, I think the easiest way, the least embarrassing way for me was to Google a lot of stuff initially. I think Mm -hmm. when you first go into a new organization, there are a billion new acronyms that you need to learn. So that's a start. Um, I found really, really good people, kind, helpful people um, who I knew wouldn't laugh at me if I asked them really dumb questions and, and they had the patience to help me learn and grow and, uh, build my confidence that way. Mm-hmm. And I made friends at work. So that, that certainly helps. And, um, the friendlier you are with somebody, the more I, I think both parties are able to share, um, experiences or, or downfalls or, gaps in your knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that, that was definitely helpful. So, so building relationships, super important in the workplace. And it seems like that's how you, uh, found another avenue to learn more at work. How do you build relationships? How do you become friends or friendly with people and get to know them more? You certainly can't be friends with everybody at work. Cause Mm -hmm. I I think that uh, not everybody is going to be receptive to wanting to be friendly or building a strong relationship, you're going to have slightly different relationships with everybody that you Mm -hmm. encounter, right? So I think it's finding the, for me, it's typically finding the path of least resistance, somebody who can joke around and uh, who's just friendly to start. And then, you know, if they're friendly to you, you're friendly back and you ask about their day and then it kind of builds from there and, and being thoughtful about, um, I, at least for me, when I first started a new place and I don't know anybody and somebody tells me, oh, you know, I have, uh, this thing coming up next weekend where you know, I'm going to my daughter's soccer game. Mm-hmm. Well, the following week I go and ask them about how their daughter's soccer game went. And I think, you know, it might seem like a really small thing, but that's the type of thing that helps you build your relationship and you know even with the two of us right like I like to remember things about my friends lives and I want to follow up and ask them about it because I really care about what's going on and in my friends lives and um and sometimes you know like especially now that I'm pregnant my memory's not very good so I'll write (laughs) even after after you're pregnant and you deliver your baby it gets even worse Sherry I'm just letting you know right now (laughs) well Well, I like to write a lot of things down. Mm -hmm. I think I did this for you for something, actually. I think you had, I think it was when you had your ankle surgery. And Uh, you were like, oh yeah, your Uh foot surgery. Yeah. And you were doing one and then the other, right? Yeah. And you told me like when you were doing the other one, but it was like several months into the future. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to remember this. I wrote myself a little calendar invite. (sighs) 
<laughs> of either like when you're recovering that or when nice. you're doing the second surgery. Yeah. Because I was like, I want to ask Jesse about this and just kind of wish her good luck and yeah. hope everything's going well. I think so. I, re- I remember being surprised that you reached out to me. I was like, I, I don't really tell people much. I didn't, <laughs> you know, I didn't talk to anyone recently about this. So there's, yeah, things like little things like that really uh, means a lot. So thank you. Hi there. So I just wanted to take this time to thank you so much for listening and also to tell you a little bit more about Feed Learning. We're an HR and talent consulting firm and we help build sustainable teams through interactive training courses, one-on-one coaching, and also HR process improvement strategies. There's also a bunch of free resources for job seekers and people who want to professionally develop like yourself. Check us out, feedlearning.com. Now back to the show. Let's talk about stress and anxiety, Sherry. So every everyone gets stressed at in the workplace. What stresses you out or gives you anxiety at work? This one's tricky because I I think I deal with stress a little bit differently than other people. Okay. It's I generally think most of the stresses at work are good stresses so it's maybe just a lot of work all at once or maybe like having meetings back to back to back and not having time to really eat or go to the bathroom in between that Mm -hmm. is that's not stressful stress it's just hey i know i have to perform and i need to be at a hundred percent capacity for eight hours or however long my that particular day is Mm -hmm. I think that the bad stresses, I guess the bad stresses would be things like things out of my control. Um, Like if there was one particular person that I needed help from to get something done, like maybe this person had was the only person in my office who had access to this particular type of information and Mm -hmm. this person is just non-responsive or not helpful or you know, not not being a team player to yeah. some extent. I that's the kind of stress that really bugs me and will eat me up inside. When you have to depend on someone else, but you can't get a hold of them or can't yeah. get them to contribute. Okay. Yeah, and that doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, it's really frustrating because you know, and it, it typically is short lived because. Um, I happen to have a really awesome boss who I can explain the situation to him and he'll be understanding. He'll say, oh, I understand, you know, so-and-so is just really, he's either really loaded, overloaded right now and just doesn't have time to help us with whatever thing it is, or that's just how he is. He's not good at his job. What happens when you get stressed? Like, do you have any physical responses to stress? I don't. <laughs> uh, I, and so can people tell if you're stressed or not? I don't think so. That's and, good. And I didn't think that initially, but I've been told during interviews, I did a mock interview. This was in college, by the way. I did a mock interview in college and I was so, so nervous. Like I could feel my heartbeat in my neck. And at the end of the interview, the, <laughs> you're, you're like your neck was I, throbbing. <laughs> my neck was throbbing. I could feel it. And at the end of the interview, the interviewer said, "Oh yeah, it seemed like you weren't nervous at all." And I said, "Wow, that is so far from the truth." But I'm uh. glad I could hide it somehow. And um, yeah, same thing with. Um, I guess I kind of noticed it even more 
uh, last year, Jesse, when you came to my wedding, that was planned in four days. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, so wow. just to catch everybody back up so we're on the same page, I had a wedding planned in Virginia Beach, and I had been planning this wedding for, you know, a year, maybe a year and a half, like a typical wedding timeline, like uh-huh. a normal person would do for you know, your <laughs> run-of-the-mill wedding. And then that particular weekend, Hurricane Florence was coming to town, or projected to come to town. And, you know, they were evacuating areas in Virginia Beach, and the the wedding venue canceled about four days before the scheduled wedding. Wow, I remember that. I felt so, (laughs) so sorry for you. Oh, I couldn't imagine what you were feeling. Well, I can't believe you, you miraculously changed your flight and were able to make it. So I was really happy about that and that you could come to my wedding and share that special Uh, day with us. Oh, of course. That was no problem. It was, it was you that was worried about. (laughs) Four days before your wedding. Yeah, so I had I I found out the venue canceled on Tuesday and the wedding was Saturday. So between Tuesday and Saturday we moved the entire wedding to Maryland. And how so many guests? Um I I think we originally had 140 maybe 150 yes RSVPs mm-hmm. and after we moved it we had 135. So we lost 15 people, but yeah, that's, it was amazing. And I mean, not to, you know, people were really awesome. They were really flexible and, um, but it was also a strategic move in terms of where, you know, I knew a lot of people's flights were going to be canceled. So we moved the venue to a place where I knew a lot of other people could drive to, or it was just, it'd be easier to fly into. So Sherry, when you got the call, or email, whatever it was, from the venue saying, hey, we're canceling due to the hurricane. What was going through your mind? I knew that there was a risk of the venue canceling because they had been really good at keeping us up to date. You know, a a couple days before they canceled, they said, hey, uh, we're still monitoring the weather. And then, you know, a day before they said, still monitoring TBD kind of a thing. And as soon as I got the email that they were canceling, I just said, it's go time because I had been I'd been talking to my dad, you know, I'd been talking to Nathan about what are our other options the, mm-hmm. the entire time. You know, I hadn't waited till that last second to start freaking out and then start planning. It was the OK, put myself in a mindset that we may need to change the venue. And then as soon as I got the email, it was like, OK, it's go time. And I, <laughs> I went home every day after work because I was I would pop out during lunch and just on breaks and stuff while I was at work to call vendors to call the new venue and I had a I had an awesome wedding planner as well who helped me cancel a lot of the old stuff Mm -hmm. um but as soon as I got that call I was like okay let's go and then every time every day I got home I was like man this is so exciting and Nate's like this is so fucked up he's like what kind of sick twisted person is this (laughs) so you are excited that I was really excited. Probably full of adrenaline too to just plan a whole wedding in four days, basically. Yeah. Lucky for me, I got to plan two weddings 
and nice. get married once. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Congrats there. And Thanks. it was super fun as well. Everyone was happy. Thank you. Um, so would you say you manage stress very well? Um, I would say definitely better than an average person. I can definitely do better as well. Yeah. Um, I think it just goes to things like, uh, you know, I can be better at public speaking. And a lot of that is managing my own stress. Yeah. So what's, what's your trick on managing stress? How do you do it? I don't think I have a trick. Um, I think maybe it's from playing sports growing up. Uh-huh. And just having that go mentality and knowing that there's a task that needs to be accomplished ahead of you and going through the motions, even if you're feeling a little nervous or uh, even if you feel unmotivated to do it, you just get yourself going through the motions. It's like riding a bike. And then yeah. after a while, you just you start doing it. And then after that, it becomes natural and automatic. Okay. What do you do to de-stress or unwind from a long work day or work week? Oh, I love this because I, I have this conversation with, with my girlfriends a lot, and that is working out after work. Okay. Um, What's your workout I, routine? So I go to CrossFit. I have a CrossFit gym that's about five, ten minute drive from my work, mm-hmm. and I, if I'm, especially if I'm having a particularly stressful day at work. I go to the gym and that's kind of, it's also almost meditative. I go in there, I have a goal that I'm trying to do um, or a series of movements that I'm trying to accomplish and I forget about everything else. Yeah. Nice. And yeah, I mean, it, you can also use the, you know, the time in your car to kind of de-stress I like to listen to podcasts, but, you know, I I was talking to my girlfriends about working out in the morning versus working out in the afternoon. And although working out in the morning would be much better for me in terms of time, Mm -hmm. I think working out and after work is much better in terms of stress management. And by the time I get home, I don't have any little bit of memory about work (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Sherry, I know what you look like. Uh, how would you, how would you describe yourself in terms of your race, ethnicity, gender, generation, etc.? Um, tall Chinese female with freckles. I don't see that often. Thirty two years old. <laughs> okay, okay. Do you feel stereotypes have been placed on you at work? I. Uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, I, I think more so the young stereotype mm-hmm. because everybody is older than me and okay. they're like, oh, well, you know, you can't walk around without your cell phone and glued to your hand or, you know, you're constantly checking your phone on going on social media, doing whatever. Yeah. And I like to counter that with a little bit of humor. Humor is your uh, arsenal. That's your, your tool set right there. Yeah. Um, so... Um, my, one of my coworkers was struggling with something, a, kind of a simple thing in, in Adobe. Yeah. And I just went up to him and said, because I overheard the conversation. I knew that I knew the answer to what he was trying to do. So I kind of peeked over and said, Hey, do you need a millennial to help with that? <laughs> 
Gotta and it lean worked. In. Yeah, it, ah. yeah. I I helped him resolve his problem. You know, didn't waste any more time. And uh, he said, "Thank you, millennial." Nice, <laughs> millennial <laughs> Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> That's your new nickname now at work. Yep. Huh? <laughs> um, have you ever felt like a victim of discrimination at work? Um, I wouldn't say a victim because I don't want to. I I don't like default framing myself in uh with a victim mentality okay but there are definitely you know i think especially working for the u.s federal government um we know that there are certainly adversaries out there and one of the potential adversaries is is china as a country Uh and i'm from china i have a lot of family in china and uh you know sometimes i'll hear people say things like oh well we shouldn't have bought this cheap Chinese shit from, you know, like we're installing these Chinese tower satellite towers over on this base or whatever. And that, that doesn't feel good. Even though, you know, mm-hmm. I know that I didn't make this tower or whatever Chinese thing that they're installing, but there's a negative connotation to that. Yeah. And if they're saying it with me in the room, depending on the kind of person saying it, I think for the most part, if they're saying it and I'm in the room or if they're saying it at all, whether or not I'm in the room, it's not a really PC, th- a politically correct thing to say to yeah. begin with. Um, and second, it, most people know that I'm Chinese. Don't say that when I'm around. But I, I kind of, sh- for the most part, I shake it off. And depending on the type of person it is who's saying that, uh, I just tell them, hey, that's messed up, dude. Do you In find a it humorous easier way. to say that when it's a guy, a male versus um, a female? No, I don't think so. Uh-huh. I think it's. I think it just depends on the personality of the person. And you straight up just say, "Hey, that's messed up, dude." Or is there a more professional way of saying? It? Or do you just straight up say it like that? Uh, I just straight up say it like that. Or if it's if even more casually, I'll just say, "Hey, that's fucked up." Oh. And nice. just very, like, very jokingly, you know, I can't, it, it's, it makes it a stressful situation for everybody if you're saying it in a serious way. Mm-hmm. But if you say it as a joke, you know, they, they get it. Most people will understand that they probably shouldn't have said that. Have you ever said it in that joking type of tone where they didn't get it and they continued? Not yet. Okay. okay. <laughs> Because that's a little bit of confrontation, right? Saying that, hey, that's fucked up to someone who said something. Uh, do you ever get like a little anxiety wanting to say that? Because it's Yeah, a I bit do. Com- okay. How do you overcome that? Um, I think I'm more conservative with saying it because I definitely want to read the room and make sure that it's not going to be offensive. So that's mm-hmm. like if I think that it, this person is not going to take it well, I won't say it. Got it. So that will then... Yes, it will definitely build up inside of me. And then, you know, after an hour or two, I just shake it off because if mm-hmm. this person's not, uh, if this person is not reading the room well enough that they will just say something outwardly like that. And it could be that or something else that's not politically correct. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not person, I'm not a person who gets butt hurt over the, like the simplest things. Um, but you know, kind of just be aware of who's in the room with you, what you're saying. Yeah. Um, 
sometimes it could impact the other person. You can just, instead of saying, oh, why did we buy this cheap Chinese stuff? Just say, hey, why did we buy this cheap stuff? It's a very simple change to your yeah. sentence, and it's not offensive. Lightning round. Um, so answer quickly um, for this lightning round. What was your very first job? Uh, lifeguard at a pool. How old were you? 15, I think. Is that legal? I mean, it was whatever legal, the minimum legal <laughs> Did age. Did they pay you under the table? It was, de- <laughs> I mean, it was definitely legal. Okay. I had a, I had like a W-2 and everything. What did you want to be when you grew up? I think I wanted to be a judge. And then I wanted to be a doctor. And then I took organic chemistry and knew that I did not want to be a doctor uh, anymore. Are you secretly in the CIA or secret services? No. Were you ever considered as the smart kid in class? No. No way. Why not? Like maybe in elementary school. (laughs) You know, when there weren't as many kids. Okay. But then as more kids come into the scope, it's definitely a lot harder to be the smart kid. Would you say that you're more hardworking than naturally smart? Yes. What did or do your parents do for work? So my mom is a reproductive toxicologist. She studies how drugs impact the reproductive system. And my dad, he's a civil engineer. So he does more specifically than that, he does traffic engineering, which is designing roads, like where to place signs, maybe the curvature of the road, the gradient for uh, stormwater. That is so cool. That would be um, my next life job. Oh, really? I like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's a little bit adjacent to urban planning, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's also like, where do you put pedestrian crossings? Is this road too wide? Can we put a bike path in here? That yeah. kind of stuff. Can he uh, work over here in San Francisco? Because the roads are really suck. I think the roads are bad everywhere. That's true. What did your parents want you to be? The one time that I remember them really pushing me in, per- in a particular direction was... Uh, I wanted to be an art major in college, mm-hmm. and they said, "No, no, we're not. We're not letting you do that." Favorite TV show? Oh no, this is <laughs> this is digging deep into the garbage places of my life. So, favorite TV show? I would say it's a toss-up between The Bachelor and Love Island, oh. which is kind of like. <laughs> have you been watching? Do you know what Love Island is? I watch it. Once. Do you watch the show? I couldn't watch it again. I'll, I'll give it another try. I'll, I'll, okay. okay, I'll give. It I a- recommend starting with season five. Okay, I'll do that. Do you eat at your desk while working? I do. It makes me a little sad, but it saves me a lot of time. Uh, would you pay $15 for a salad? No. <laughs> Why not? I'm still Chinese after all. <laughs> do you wear the same clothes every day or do you style it up with your Birkenstocks? I am the least stylish person at work. Okay. I think I, so I was, yes, sometimes I wear Birkenstocks, but I also have a lot of black clothes that I just kind of swap like a black pants with a different black shirt or maybe like a gray shirt it's a fancy day i'm gonna wear a gray shirt and uh, (laughs) and so I, i can probably wear the same thing every day and nobody would really notice all right sherry so we're almost done let's talk about 
career and specifically your career goals five, 10, 20 years from now, what do you see yourself doing or what would you like to have accomplished by then? I think I want to be doing something different. I want to, because I, I've done that at the past every, what has been three or four years, I've moved into a totally different kind of job, mm-hmm. even though it seems like you can kind of, you know, what is it that Steve's job said? You can connect the dots going back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's hard to see what you don't really actively plan for what you're going to do in the future. You don't, you have no idea what your next job is going to be. Have you considered professional beach volleyball player? I am looking for oh, a partner. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> I, I've, uh, I've stopped playing volleyball. Oh, I'm come so on. sorry. Carrie Walsh Jennings is like 42 or something. And she's I still know. playing. Right. That is amazingly inspiring. <laughs> Can we just circle back to how we became friends? Because this is, I tell people this all the time and I can't believe it actually happened. We we were playing volleyball and I don't know if it was like the probably the first or second time we were playing together in New York. It was cold. We we're walking the subway together and I said, hey, do you want to be best friends? <laughs> yes. Not just friends. <laughs> best friends. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Okay. And it, I'm like, oh, my God, it worked. <laughs> uh, last few questions, and we're almost done, Sherry. Uh, career advice for listeners. What advice would you give someone who is in transition of figuring out the right career path for them? Figure out what you want. Figure out what you're passionate about. And it doesn't have to be a particular subject matter. It could be maybe you just want to be outside all day or maybe you'd want to sit in a cubicle all day and, you know, do a lot of research. Maybe you like to do things in Excel. Um, Maybe you like to just learn different things every day. I don't know. Um, Figure out what type of work, what maybe your day to day would look like and have it narrowed down from there. I think one of the things that was really helpful for me when I was first starting out was um, a coworker of mine recommended making three lists. So in your first list, you write out what are the things that you like, just things that you like, you know, for me, it's, I like CrossFit. I like volleyball. I like, um, seltzer water (laughs) like I like the bachelor in love island (laughs) and playing with my cat you know just things that you like in general it regardless of if you can make money off of it or not the second list that uh my my coworker had recommended is you put together your skills what are the things that you're good at so for me that would be perhaps uh making dumb little models in Excel or um, running, working out. uh. And then in the third list, you try and put it all together. Like what it's essentially the middle of the Venn diagram Mm -hmm. between these two lists. So I I thought that that was kind of helpful. What's your advice for someone who wants to advance in their career? I think it really depends on where you are in your career. Um, I think if you're early on in your career, it's the, I think the best thing to do would be to be eager to help, Mm -hmm. um, stay motivated. Don't lose that spark because that is so important to help you get to that next step in, 
in the the mid-level range, I would say it's really easy to be complacent at this point in time because you've worked really hard and then you get to a place where you're fairly comfortable and in order to push yourself to that next step, you know, a lot of people just kind of stay in this middle zone and that's okay too. But if you know your ultimate goal is to move up to um, you know, an executive leadership role, then you really have to stay on top of yourself and um, find find things that will add value to your organization or your company. And upper level, I don't know. I've never gotten that far. So I guess just <laughs> er- do the same thing you've been doing. Earlier, you said don't lose that spark. What do you mean by that? Um, I think it's especially out of college, you're so motivated to go and do something, go change the world. And that that is a spark, but that certainly diminishes over time. And it's really hard, or I should say, it's really easy to lose sight of the original motivators. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the original motivators are the things that help you get out there and get a job when you didn't previously have to have a job or it helps you um, take risks. Like maybe you want to take a gap year and travel the world. Yeah. You know, that's not something that people in their forties do as, as often as you see people in their early twenties do. Yeah. And that sparks the thing that it keeps you going and keeps you excited about life. And it's a cool lens to have as you're seeing the world. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we just have to dig deep to find that spark that we had when we were younger, huh? that, that mm-hmm. drive and that motivation. Um, any books, articles, resources you recommend people to check out? Yes. So this book um, really made an impact on how I read other people and how I try to uh, portray myself in a, in meetings and in situations where I'm meeting people way higher than me or just kind of my peers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It by Chris Voss, V-O-S-S. Awesome. And I'll, I'll add the link to it too. Yeah. It's great. It It's mostly about negotiating. It's Chris Voss used to be uh, an FBI negotiator mm-hmm. and he gives a couple of um, examples from ex- experience, but then applies that to business negotiations. But he also identifies uh, a couple of different personalities for that, um, that you may encounter when you're negotiating and also helps you identify your own sort of negotiating personality. Awesome. Sherry, thank you so, so much for sharing your vulnerable moments, for sharing what you've learned, what you're still learning. Um, I hope that everyone was able to learn something from you because I know I have. So thank you. Thank you, Jesse. So that wraps the episode. If you're looking for more tips and tricks on how to navigate sticky situations at work, check out the library at feedlearning.com. And if you're an HR professional, founder, or manager, and would like to get some training or coaching for yourself or team, reach out to me and I'd be happy to help out. If you have any questions or comments about this episode or for future guests, you can send me a message at hello at feedlearning.com or leave me a voicemail on my Google Voice at 805-262-7782. 
Until next time, follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn. Subscribe to People Podcast by Feed Learning on iTunes or Spotify and share this episode with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. See you later.